0: Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Rama Chalaramanaya uh, Namaskaram. <coughs> uh, today I'll start by asking, answering some questions I've been asked about the practice of self-investigation. These are all from comments on recent YouTube videos. <coughs> um, the first question is. Is paying attention to our sense of being the same as turning selfward for the purpose of self-investigation? Yes, that is our sense of being is the awareness I am. That is what we actually are. And attending to that is what is called self-investigation. Self-investigation is nothing but fixing our attention on ourselves. As Bhagavan makes clear in the 16th paragraph of Nana, where he says, "Sada kalamum manate uh, atma vil atma bicharam that means the name "atma bichara" is only for always keeping the mind on oneself, on Atman. So, our self means that awareness: "I am." <clears throat> that is, I am means I exist. That is our existence or our being. And that awareness of our existence is what is called it. That is what we actually are. Satchit means uh, existence awareness or being awareness. That is what we actually are. And attending to that alone is self-investigation. The next question is, when going within, there seems to be nothing but our awareness being aware of emptiness or nothing, is that the false awareness of the object-knowing consciousness? <clears throat> that is, there is not actually any such thing as nothing. Nothing is just an idea. When when things seem to be absent, we say there's nothing. Um, but it's just an idea. When we go within, there is not nothing. That is, we are not nothing. We are, we are not only something, obviously we are something. We are not only something, we are actually the only thing. So it's not go, it, we are not going into emptiness or nothingness. We're going into the fullness of pure awareness, which is what we actually are. Um, so the idea that when we turn within, there's only emptiness, or nothingness this is only because we are so used in the waking and dream states to knowing things other than ourselves. when we turn within to know ourself alone superficially it seems to be nothingness but actually we are clearly there i mean we what do we when we go within what are we attending to we are attending to ourselves and we are not nothing so we need to give up the idea that it is emptiness or nothingness. We are attending to but the one thing that certainly exists. That is all other things that we're aware of seem to exist, but according to Bhagavad, do not actually exist. Just because something seems to exist, it doesn't mean it actually exists. It's just an appearance. Everything other than ourself is an appearance. But the one thing that must definitely exist is ourself. Because if we didn't exist, we couldn't be aware. Um, Whether what we are aware of is real or unreal, false or, I mean, real or illusory, we who are aware of it must be real. However, though we definitely exist, as awareness, we, uh, we may not be what we seem to be. Now, we seem to be a person. In other words, we are aware of ourselves, not just as I am. We are aware of ourselves as I am this person. I am Michael or whoever. That is a false awareness of ourselves, because this person that we now seem to be appears and disappears. This person appears in waking and in dream, but disappears in sleep. So that cannot be what we actually are, because we exist, whether this person appears or not. So what we are to attend to is just that fundamental awareness, I am, in other words, our own existence, our own being. And that is not nothingness, that is the fullness of, of that is all there is, and that is the fullness of, of pure awareness, fullness of pure being. Um. So, the, the quite that question was: Is that false awareness of the object knowing consciousness? No, knowing. If we think if we think we are knowing nothing, that is a false awareness. But if we if we shake the idea of this is nothingness and attend to what is actually there, namely ourselves, that is not false awareness. That is a true awareness. Um. And then my next question is, or is that the true awareness I am? Yes, it is the true awareness I am, provided we don't superimpose upon it false ideas such as emptiness or nothingness. What we are to attend to is what actually exists, what is actually the, the one thing that actually exists, namely our self. Um, and then the next question is, when going within selfhood, are we supposed to be scrutinizing what we find as we go within and stay there for a while? Or are we supposed to just relax and just be there? That is, if we are going southward, we will not find anything other than ourselves. If we find anything other than ourselves. Then our attention is diverted away from ourselves towards something else. So we are then not going within, we're going out again. So our aim is just to be aware of ourselves. And beyond being aware of ourselves, there's nothing that that is required. That's all that is. We are always aware of ourselves. But the problem is because we are we have so much interest in knowing other things, we generally neglect this fundamental awareness I am and instead attend to other things. So we are always aware of ourselves, we're always aware I am, but we are generally negligently aware I am. What, what is required is to be attentively aware I am, words, not to forget are this ever-shining awareness I am, that is what we need to hold on to, that is what we need to stay with. Um, So what is required is just to hold on to that fundamental awareness I am. Hold on to it means attend to it, and not allow our attention to be diverted towards anything else. If our attention is diverted towards anything else, we need to turn it back towards ourselves. As Bhagavan says, whatever may appear, to whom does it appear? To me. So who am I? We need to turn. That doesn't mean we have to be questioning like that. He says we need to investigate. And we investigate to whom does all these things appear by turning our attention back towards ourselves, the one to whom everything else appears. And then the next question is, when going within selfhood, are we supposed to be concentrating our attention? on heading in the inward direction in a vigilant fashion, as if we are heading in the direction of ourself, which we might just reach someday. We shouldn't complicate this. It's very, very simple. We are not not, um, trying to concentrate on any idea of going inwards. We are just trying to attend to ourself, to our own being. Our own being is the simplest of all things. So what Bhagav- when Bhagavan talks about going inwards, he means our attention going deeper and deeper within. Our attention goes deeper and deeper within by our fixing our attention on ourselves. The more our attention is fixed on ourselves, the more we as ego will subside back into our own being. So we don't need to be having any imagination about going within we we simply need to be self attentive so we need to we we need to understand clearly what bhagavan is talking about being self attentive is just being it's not doing anything it's just being as we are um but if if we are attending to ourselves then yes we are heading inwards um And obviously, vigilance is required. We need to vigilantly attend to ourselves, because otherwise, if we're not vigilant, our attention quickly gets diverted away towards other things. Because it's the nature of ego or mind to go outwards, to grasp other things. So we need to be vigilant. We need to vigilantly hold on to ourselves in order to avoid uh, allowing our attention to be diverted towards anything else. Um... And uh, yes, we are heading in. But to the extent to which we're attending to ourselves, we are heading in the direction of ourselves. Yes, heading in the direction of ourselves means we're subsiding back within. Um. And we, it's, it ends with which we might reach someday. All, we need not be concerned about where we're going to reach. All we need to attend to is ourselves. If we attend to ourselves. To the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we will subside. If we attend to ourselves sufficiently cleanly, then we will reach ourselves, so to speak. Of course, reach ourselves doesn't we? it's not that ourself is ever away from. We, <clears throat> when we rise, we seem to separate ourselves from what we actually are. So by attending to ourselves, we return to what we actually are. But it's only metaphorically we talk about reaching or returning. It's not literally, because we've we've never actually gone anywhere. We just seem to have gone somewhere by rising as ego. By turning our attention back towards ourselves, we subside back within. And eventually we'll merge back into the into ourself, the source from which we've risen. And then then the same person goes on, you talk about going within and then holding on to the awareness I am. But how do we get to the I am? That is going within and holding on to the awareness I am, or one of the same thing. It's not going within and then holding on to I am. We, by holding on to I am, the, this awareness I am, we go within. Um, that is to the extent to which we attend to Our own being, to that extent, do we subside into our being. Um, But how do we get to the I am? We don't have to get to the I am. That is the one thing we always know is our own existence, our own being. We're always aware I am. All we need to do is to attend to this fundamental awareness I am. It's not a matter of getting there. It's a matter of just simply attending to what is ever existing and shining, namely ourselves. Do we have to go through the object-knowing awareness first, i.e., the one that is aware of nothing except being aware? That is, true awareness, pure awareness, is aware of nothing other than itself. In other words, it's aware of, yes, we can say, yeah, aware of nothing except being aware. Um, but it's better to, it's simpler, clearer to say, aware of nothing except itself. That is, we as pure awareness know nothing other than ourselves. The object knowing awareness is, is mind or ego, because objects are all things other than ourselves or that seem to be other than ourselves. So long as we rise as ego, we are aware of all this multiplicity. And so all these objects seem to be other than ourselves. That is, so the object knowing awareness is mind or ego. Pure awareness is the awareness that is aware of nothing other than itself. So this question is not very clear because it seems to be equating the object knowing awareness with being aware of nothing other than ourselves. So that's not, it's not very clear what the pers- this person had in mind when they asked that question. If so, how does this class as an investigation? That is, we investigate ourselves simply by attending to ourselves. The more we attend to ourselves, the more clearly we become aware of ourselves as mere being. Um, So there's no other way... There's no way to investigate ourselves other than attending to ourselves. That is, in any investigation, the basic tool is attention that is you can't investigate something without a- attending to it to investigate anything other than ourselves in addition to attention, we need our five senses we need mind we need we may need ob- instruments like microscopes or telescopes or um, we need, may need to follow forensic evidence or whatever but the basic Instrument of any investigation is attention. In the case of investigating ourselves, we don't need the mind or the senses or anything. We just need to attend to ourselves. Being self attentive alone is self investigation. As Bhagavan implied when he said the the sentence I quoted earlier from Nana, um, the name Atmavichara is only for keeping the mind, always keeping the mind. On oneself. It's as
1: simple as that. Um, uh,
0: this takes me back to my previous question. Is paying attention to the sense of being what is meant by self attention? Yes. That, that, is that sense of being that aware, is, is the awareness I am, which is what we actually are. So attending to this awareness I am is what is meant by self attention. If so, how is this method classed as an investigation? Well, I've answered that. Um, So that's the one set of questions asked by one person. In fact, it was asked in a a series of comments. Um, uh, So I hope I've answered those questions adequately. There are a couple of other people who asked similar questions, so I'll just deal with these and then I'll answer any other questions that People may want to ask. Um, The next one, um, someone wrote, Sir, please answer me. If we think of Ramana, it refers to Bhagavan. We already have some knowledge about it. If we are asked to think of mango, we think of fruit, because we already have some knowledge about it. But when we concentrate on I am, which we have no idea on it, how to do it, That is before we know anything else, before we know fruit or mangoes or Bhagavan or anything else, the first thing we all know is I am. We know our own existence. We couldn't know anything else without first knowing ourselves. So, this awareness I am is our basic awareness, our basic knowledge. There's nothing we know so well as I am. So, it is wrong to think that we. Do not know I am, but problem is now. Though we know, always know I am. We don't know. We know that I am, but we don't know what I am because we have we wrongly identify ourselves with a set of objects, a bundle of five sheaves called a person uh, or a body. This this bundle of five sheaves. Five sheaves means a physical body the life that animates it, and the mind, intellect, and will that function within it. These are collectively referred to as the five sheaths or panchakosha. As Bhagavan said, this makes up the body in the sense in which he uses the body, because whenever we rise as ego, we always experience ourselves as this set of um, five sheaths. Because we...
2: uh,
0: are aware of ourselves as if we were these five sheaves, we're not aware of ourselves as we actually are. So, we are though we are always aware, I am, we are not aware what I am. So, in order to be aware what I am or who I am, we need to attend to ourselves. So, we are not trying looking for something unknown, we are just attending to that which is ever known namely, I am. Knowledge of all other things comes and goes. Only in waking and dream are we aware of anything other than I am. But we're aware I am in all three states. In waking we're aware I am, in dream we're aware I am, in sleep we're aware I am. So the one permanent awareness is the awareness I am—that is our being. That is what we actually are. That is all we have to attend to or concentrate on. And finally, one other person um, refers to some uh, uh, one video. Um, it's some video from, or oh, actually, it was from a few years ago. A video when I was discussing self surrender, um, and they say in. Uh, of uh, nine minutes, 13 seconds, you say, um, refraining from attending to other things, that's not sufficient by itself. Then you explain that in order for us to destroy the mind, we need to attend only to ourselves. Does that mean to be in a state of pure attention, not to anything, but just to be attentive? That is. There's no such thing as a state of pure attention. We, attention is always we, we, we cannot attend without attending to something. Generally, we attend to things other than ourself. The practice of self-investigation is attending only to ourself. So it's it's not just being attentive, it's being attentive to what actually exists, namely ourself. Um And then they go and say, but to be in a state of full attention means giving attention not only to myself, but also everything around me. We never can give, we we can never give our attention to everything. Attention is the selective use of our awareness. That is when we rise as ego, so many things uh, exist within the field of our awareness, but we can't be equally aware of everything. So we have this power of focusing our awareness on one thing or one set of things to the exclusion of other things. For instance, now we are sitting in a room. We've got four walls around us. We're aware this room is here, these objects, these tables and things, but our attention is not on these things. Our attention is on what we are, the subject we are discussing. So, like this, attention, we're always attending to something. We can't attend to everything simultaneously. So attention is a selective use of our awareness, focusing our awareness on one thing or one set of things in preference to other things. So in in the practice of self-investigation, we are trying to focus our awareness on ourself. That is on the basic awareness I am. So it is, we we are attending to ourself. Um, We're not attending to anything else. So long as we are, aware of other things, our attention is at least to some extent going outwards towards those other things. We need to, whatever we may be aware of, who is aware of it? I am. Turn our attention back towards ourselves. That is the aim of self-investigation, to attend to ourselves more and more keenly. The more keenly we attend to ourselves, the more other things are excluded from our attention. We can understand this in day-to-day life. If you're reading a book that is very interesting or watching a film that is very interesting other people may people may be talking around you so many things may be happening but you you're not distracted by those things because you're so interested in the book you're reading or the film you're watching or whatever else you may be doing likewise we need to be our attention needs to be so firmly fixed on ourselves but we thereby withdraw it from everything else, so we don't notice whatever may else may be happening. Things may be happening, let them be, happen, but our only concern is to attend to not what is happening, but what is, namely our own being. That is the practice of self-investigation. Um, then they go and say, I'm just trying to understand how to be only attentive to myself alone and not attentive to anything else only by practice, that is the more we practice attending to ourselves, the more the love to attend to ourselves will increase, and the less the inclination to attend to other things, I mean, the more the inclination to attend to other things will decrease. So it is only by patient and persistent practice. Because the nature of the mind is to go outwards, when we try to hold on to self-attentiveness, we will frequently be our attention will be frequently diverted away from ourselves towards other things. The only way to overcome that is by patient and persistent practice. The more we practice turning our attention back to ourselves and trying to hold on to that self attentiveness, the more, um, the, the more we 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 gain the, the strength to hold on to self attentiveness to the exclusion of all else. This is what Bhagavan says in the sixth paragraph of. No, no, when he, he d- describes whatever may appear, to whom does it appear? We need to turn our attention back to ourselves. And he he, the, he after describing that, he says, by um paraka by practicing and practicing in this way, or when one practices and practices in this way, um manataku tangi nikkum shakti For the mind. The strength to um, uh, um, to uh, remain in its birthplace, that's in its source, increases. So we, we gain more and more strength to remain as we actually are by patient and persistent practice. However many times our attention is diverted away from ourself, we need to bring it back to ourself. Having brought it back to ourself, we need to try to hold on to ourselves. When it gets diverted away again, we bring it back to ourselves again. This is the practice. And this is the only way to, um, to gain the strength not to be distracted by other things. That strength is the strength of love. Um, oh, and There's one other set of questions I'll answer now and then um, leave it for everyone else, anyone to ask any question they want. Someone asked, On the question of how to turn within, let me just say I have found great guidance in the instructions from Michael Langford via his Awareness Watching Awareness Instruction. You can find it in book form or on YouTube. Michael James himself said it could be very well benefit many people. It would be great if Michael James could talk about this approach also. I've seen him comment on it in his blog. Yes, awareness. watching awareness is one way of describing the practice of self-investigation, but it's not the most direct way of describing it. Um, when we talk about awareness, we need to... whatever we are, that, that is, all that we know is awareness of things. That is, if I know, if I'm, if I'm looking at this light, I'm aware of the light, so there's the awareness of the light. So whatever, whatever phenomena appear, what we are experiencing is awareness of those phenomena. So we, we need to distinguish awareness of objects from the fundamental awareness that knows all objects, namely ourselves. Awareness that knows all objects is ego. More fundamental than ego is ego is the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body. So, the two defining characteristics of ego as ego, firstly, we know ourselves as I am this body. And secondly, we consequently know other things. So, being aware of ourselves as I am this body or being aware of anything else, that is the nature of ego. But the awareness that we actually are is the pure awareness I am. That is not awareness of anything, it is just awareness I am. So this is the awareness that we need to attend to. And what needs to attend to it, that is the mind that is usually going outwards needs to attend to its fundamental awareness I am. This can be described as awareness watching awareness. But this is an instruct. if it's described in this way, it can easily give room for, um, I mean, it can easily be misunderstood because people, um, when generally when people talk about awareness, most people think about awareness of things other than themselves. For example, people generally, people believe, but in sleep, we're not aware of anything. So there's no awareness in sleep. It is true in sleep, we are not aware of anything. In other words, we're not aware of any phenomena, but what remains in sleep is that fundamental awareness I am. So there is never a moment when we are not aware. We seem to be not aware in sleep only because we take awareness to mean awareness of things other than ourselves. So when, when, when there's such a... a A prevalent misunderstanding of what is meant by awareness—to talk to describe self-investigation just as awareness, watching awareness—can easily be misunderstood. That's why Bhagavan Bhagavan did sometimes describe it in those terms. He said, "You need to be just aware of awareness, but the awareness he." If we understand him correctly, the awareness he's talking about is the awareness I am. So, being aware of that awareness I am is, or rather, being attentively aware of that awareness I am, because we are always aware I am, but most of the time we neglect or overlook this fundamental awareness I am because we're more interested in being aware of other things. So, awareness, watching awareness. Is not a, a wrong description, but it's a description that needs to be understood correctly because words can words can very easily be misunderstood. So, Bhagavan, um, that is, no words can adequately describe what it means to be self attentive. But Bhagavan gave, but all that Bhagavan taught us is pointers towards that. So. Um, awareness, watching awareness. Yes, that's also a pointer. Not necessarily the best pointer, but many people find it helpful. But that's all it is. That is what we what we are investigating is only awareness. Bhagavan often referred described Atmavichara as jnana vichara. Jnana means awareness. So when he described Atmavichara as jnana vichara, he means investigating awareness, but the. Uh, but jnana in this context refers not just to any awareness, not awareness of this or of that. Just be aware but the fundamental awareness I am. That is what we need to investigate. And we can investigate this fundamental awareness I am only by attending to it. So awareness, watching awareness is not a wrong instruction. It, it, it may be helpful for some people, but it's a... It needs to be un like any like any um pointer, it needs to be understood correctly. Michael Langford's understanding is often very questionable. Many things he says show, but he's um he he doesn't have a very deep understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. Um for example, in one of his old web pages, I remember he describes about different circles of um, something, and um, the innermost circle was the what was meant to be closest to self investigation, and the outer circles were what were further away. And among Bhagavan's works, he classified Ulladu Napdu as one of the more um, one of the things further away from self investigation. So he. I mean, Uludu is the central work, the work where Bhagavan focuses most, I mean it's it's a work that is totally focused on self-investigation. So he didn't understand, obviously he didn't understand Uludu And And there's so many other things he he says, but uh, show a lack of understanding. So there's a lot of room for confusion in his um in what he says. I'm not saying there's anything against him. I'm just saying that when people ask me about his instructions, firstly, this his, his pet phrase is this awareness, watching awareness. Yes, this is a clue, a useful clue. It's pointing in the right direction, if understood correctly. But a lot of the other things he says are, are rather confusing and often quite way off Bhagavan's teachings. So, when I'm asked about him, I generally, I, I, though awareness watching awareness is, if understood correctly, yeah, it's, a, it's an appropriate description of self-investigation, but it can easily be misunderstood. And many of the other things he said show that he has not really understood Bhagavan's teaching very deeply. Whereas Bhagavan describes self investigation, it gives us so many pointers towards self investigation. Michael Langford has just latched to this one, this one description of his awareness watching awareness, and he's he he seems to be limiting himself to that and not going deeper into what actually is is meant by self investigation. Um, so I think his understanding is very limited, I would say, and his descriptions are useful up to a certain point. I mean, if, they, if, they, if anyone finds it useful, awareness, watching awareness, well and good, provided they understand what but the awareness we have to watch is not awareness of anything other than ourselves, It's awareness of ourself alone. In other words, we have to attend to ourselves. So, self-attentiveness is the simplest way of describing this practice. Um, so, if, if anyone has any um, uh, any, any further questions, um, I mean, any questions either on this subject or in any other questions? Um, the first question is from Titi. you would like to ask a
1: question
3: uh i have a question about um um my my, my connection is is not so good uh, do you hear me
0: yes i hear you clearly oh,
3: okay. um yes i i spend a a period in a in a buddhist monastery and uh they speak about this uh uh pure awareness as a witness who observe uh, everything for example uh, uh, this uh, pure awareness, they speak of this, this pure awareness, that observe, I, I have a body, I have, a, and there is a body, and uh, there is a pain, and I, I, I am not this body, pain or mind, I am, uh, I am this pure, I am this witness who observe this, and uh, the, the practice is to detach, to detach of this uh, body, mind, uh, as pure awareness. And for me, was was not clear. This kind of uh, because they speak about this. This pure awareness uh, doesn't discriminate, but in a, in, a, in in the same time, uh, it observes uh, the 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 world, the body, the mind.
1: Okay, if it is if we
0: are aware of the body or mind, that is not pure awareness. Pure awareness means just awareness. Awareness devoid of content, devoid of objects. So long as we are aware of objects, the aware, the, that which is aware of objects, of the body, of the mind, of um, thoughts, feelings, the world, perceptions, and so on, that is ego or mind. That is not pure awareness. That is the adjunct-conflated awareness. That is, we are aware of things other than ourselves only when we rise as ego and are consequently aware of ourselves as I am this body. So that is not the state of pure awareness. The state of pure awareness is the state in which we are aware of nothing other than ourselves. Awareness watching awareness, if you want to put it that way, as Michael Langford likes to call it. But that is, we are aware of nothing other than our own being. The, the fundamental awareness, the real awareness, the pure awareness, is just the awareness I am. That is not awareness of any objects. That is just pure awareness, because awareness always. We cannot be aware without being aware, but we are aware. So awareness of our existence is is intrinsic to um, awareness. So just being aware implies being aware i am so pure awareness is just that awareness i am so long as we're aware of anything other than ourself we may by by observing other things by, by these practice of mindfulness as as they nowadays they tend to call this mindfulness simply means attentiveness but what is generally called as mindfulness meditation is attending to the body or the sensations in the body or what's going on around. It's attending to anything other than oneself. So that is, um, that is, that is, we, by trying to be just an a, a detached witness, but well, the witness is never wholly detached because we, we. Are aware of things other than ourselves only by grasping them in our attention. So it may be, it may have some therapeutic effect, it may give some limited form of detachment, but it's not a deep detachment. Deep detachment comes only from leaving all. Awareness of everything other than ourselves, and holding on to ourselves alone. Only to the extent to which we hold on to ourselves, can we thereby detach ourselves from other things. Because so long as we are aware of anything other than ourselves, we are attaching ourselves to these things. We're attending to them. We can't be aware of anything without attending to it. And attention is attachment. But when we attend to something, we are grasping it in our awareness. So it's it's not. Those sort of practices may have some limited benefit, some sort of therapeutic benefit, but they're not going very deep. If we want to go deep and truly detach ourselves from everything, we need to hold on to the one thing from which we can never detach ourselves, namely ourselves. We cannot detach ourselves from what we actually are. We can detach ourselves from everything that we take ourselves to be. Now we take ourselves to be this person. We need to detach ourselves from this person. How can we detach ourselves from this person? Only by attaching ourselves. To what we actually are, namely that fundamental awareness I am. So pure awareness is not awareness of anything. It's not awareness but is witnessing anything. It is just awareness. That is a pure awareness, I am, nothing other than I am. So long as we're witnessing something, that awareness has content, it has objects. So that's not pure awareness. Does this adequately answer your question?
3: Uh, yes, yes. I think it's uh, also I, I noticed also Swami Sarva Prananda speaking about this uh, as a witness, which uh, who observed this. Yes,
0: that is, in in um in a Vedic text, the term there's a Sanskrit word "sakshi," which means witness. But this term "sakshi" is gives rise to many misunderstandings. There's a reason why they point out that you, we are Sakshi. The aim of it, that is, in order to separate ourselves from everything that we take ourselves to be, we need to first understand we are not this body, we are not this mind, we are not any of these things we take ourselves to be. We are that which is aware of these things. That That's the first step. We first need to separate the... The, uh, this is what is called Drick Viveka. We are separating the seer from the seen, the knower from the known, the object, the experiencer from what is experienced. So, in order to, to, to start on this path of self investigation, we first need to distinguish ourselves as the knower from everything that we know. When we recognize that we are the knower, then we, what we have to attend to is only to the knower. So when we are told that we are the witness, that doesn't mean that we should be witnessing other things. That means we should investigate, who am I the witness? Who, who am I who knows all these other things? So the, the, the purpose of this uh, term witness is, firstly, that's widely misunderstood even even among very learned Advaitins. And secondly, as Bhagavan pointed out, the term Sakshi is actually Sakshi or Witness It's actually used in two different senses. If Sakshi is used in the sense of banoa, that which is aware of other things, that Sakshi is only ego. It's only as ego that we're aware of anything other than ourselves. However, the same term Sakshi is often, uh, Brahman is described as um, jiva-sakshi, the witness of the jiva, or sarva-sakshi. Bhagavan said, in that context, when Brahman is described, or our real nature is described as the witness, there he he said, sakshi means uh, sanadi. Sanadi is presence. That is, it's only in the presence of Brahman but the, the jiva arises, but everything else arises. So Brahman is the witness in the sense that everything is happening in its presence, not in the sense that Brahman is knowing all these things. Brahman is just pure awareness; it doesn't know anything other than itself. But all these things arise in the view, arise in the presence of Brahman. But in whose view do they arise? Only in the view of ourself as ego. So it's the, the witness in the sense of the knower of other things is ego. The witness in the sense of the presence in which everything appears and disappears is Brahman. Is our real nature, what we actually are. So the 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 the, the, the practical significance of this term Sakshi is not understood by, by the majority of classical Advaitins. That is, the the point is missed. The reason it is said that we are the Sakshi is for us to distinguish ourselves as the knower, the witness, from everything that we know. Having distinguished ourselves, then what do we have to investigate? Do we have to continue witnessing? No, we are witnessing all the time. We we need to recognize that we are not—that is all this is a dream. In this dream, we take ourselves to be a person in this dream. So we seem to be involved in this dream. All the problems of life and everything are coming to us because we identify ourselves with one of the creatures in this dream. So we need to separate ourselves from what we take ourselves to be. By rec- First, we need to recognize, no, we are not this person we take ourselves to be. We are that which knows this person and knows everything else. So we first have to recognize the distinction between the witness or the subject, the knower, from everything that is known. As I say, this is what is called Drik Drissiya Viveka, distinguishing the, the knower from the known. Having distinguished the knower from the known, we then need to keep our attention fixed on the knower, namely ourself. So what do we need to witness? We need to witness for witness, witness ourselves. By turning our attention back towards ourselves, that is, when ego, instead of attending to other things, when it turns its attention back on itself, it thereby subsides and it merges back into the pure awareness that it actually is. That pure awareness is the is what is metaphorically described as sava the witness of everything, because it, it is that in the presence of which everything appears and disappears. But in, the view of, in whose view does everything appear and disappear? Only in the view of ego. So if ego turns its attention back to its, itself, it thereby merges back into its source, and then what remains is the one only without a second. That is what we actually are. So, there are so many good clues given in Advaita texts, but they are because the majority of people don't understand what is the practice, what is the correct Advaita Abhyasa, the practice of Advaita, they misinterpret these clues or give some sort of interpretation of their own. The Advaita Abhyasa, the correct practice of Advaita, can be only one thing. That is, Advaita means one only without a second. So what what practice can Im- what practice involves one only without a second? Only self-attentiveness. If we're attending to anything other than ourself, there are two things there. We as the one who is attending, and you know, what we are attending to. So that is that is duality. To, to, Go beyond duality, we need to separate ourselves from all this appearance of otherness by attending only to ourselves. In self-attentiveness, there are no two things there. That is, the the we who are attending are the same we we are attending to. So they're not two different things. There's not a, a subject and an object, there's just we attending to ourselves. And the attention. Is itself nothing other than ourselves. It's nothing other than the awareness that we actually are. So, the whole aim of uh, of uh, Vedanta ultimately is to turn our attention back to ourselves. four Mahavakya's, Tattvamasi, you are that. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Pragnanam uh, Brahman, pure awareness is Brahman. I am Atma Brahman. This self, uh, this self is Brahman. What are these all pointing at? They're all turning our attention back towards ourselves. Before we hear the Mahabharatas, we take God or Brahman or whatever it is, we take to be something outside ourselves. But we're looking for outside happiness or knowledge or whatever. We're looking for it outside always. So the Upanishads say, "You are you yourself are that." When they say "you yourself for that," what is the practical implication of that? That means I should stop attending to anything else and I should attend to myself. If I want, if I am Brahman, if I want to know Brahman, what should I attend to? I shouldn't go on reading books and books and trying to understand all these different commentaries. I should attend to who am I? Because if I am Brahman, then who am I? We need to turn our attention back to ourselves. If Brahman is I, we can never know Brahman as something other than ourselves. So we can know Brahman only by knowing ourselves. So the whole, the ultimate aim of all of Vedanta is to turn our attention back to ourselves. So if this is overlooked, then it's just, it becomes a mere philosophy, lots of nice ideas, but the practical implication, what what is the use of Vedanta? philosophy, if it's just a philosophy, it's got to have some practical value. The practical, the ultimate aim of all of Vedanta is to turn our attention back to ourselves. If we understand that, all the other things will fall in place. Everything else will become clear. And we'll be able to sort out the, the grain from the chaff. Because in the name of Vedanta, so many other extraneous ideas have been added. Because in the world of philosophy, there are so many different views. The views are called darsana. There's so many different darsanas. So each darsana is trying to assert its own view. And so each... each So a dvaita has to defend itself. If it's outward looking, it has to defend itself against all these other views. But Bhagavan said, that's missing the point. Advaita isn't asking us to look outwards, is isn't asking us to dispute with others. The world is real. No, it's unreal. The world is... Uh, um, yeah, 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 this or that. All, all the in verses two and three of Voluntanapu Bhagavan clearly says this. What's the use of arguing all these things? Whether. Whether God, world, and soul are always three things, or whether ultimately they're one thing, or whether the world is real or the world is unreal, the world is awareness, the world is non awareness, the world is happiness, the world is misery. What's the use of arguing all these things? The whole point of this is to turn our attention back to ourselves. If we know ourselves, then we can leave the world and be happy as we are. So, but so many spiritual teachings. are are missing the point. The whole point is, the ultimate aim of all spiritual teachings is to turn our attention back to ourselves. Because only by knowing what we actually are can we put an end to ego. And it's only when we rise as ego that we experience all these other things. So all problems exist only for ego. So in order to get, so ego is the root of all problems. Ego is a false awareness of ourself. An awareness of ourself as I am this person, I am this body. So to get rid of that false awareness, we need to be aware of ourself as we actually are. So the ultimate aim of all Vedanta and all spiritual teachings, it's there even in the Bible, for example. Jesus said, um, they will say, look here, look there. I say look, see, the kingdom of God is within you. He's not just saying, it is a nice idea, kingdom of God is within you. He says, look, see. That means he's directing our attention back within. So any true spiritual teaching will direct our attention back within. If a teaching doesn't direct our attention back within, it maybe have some limited benefit, but it's not going to, it's not, it's not the, Ultimate spiritual teaching. The ultimate spiritual teaching is: you are that. See yourself. Know yourself. Turn within. See what you actually are. Investigate who am I. That is the ultimate spiritual teaching. Does that adequately answer your question? Yes.
3: Yes. Can I ask a short, another short question?
0: Yes. Yes. Certainly. Um,
3: Yeah, there is another teaching that they 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 speak about. um, uh, uh using senses senses as a tool uh, as a tool to 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 turn within but for me here also is a problem because you can uh, you can uh, attach to the to the senses this is uh, a little dangerous for me
0: this is, senses are very useful tools for knowing about the world but how will the senses help us to know ourselves? We don't need we don't need our eyes to know I am. We don't need our ears to know I am. We all whether our whether our senses are functioning or as in waking and dream or not functioning as in sleep. The one thing we're always aware of is I am. So our aim is to separate ourselves from these senses. These senses are not what we actually are. The senses are tools belonging to this bundle of five sheets called the body. Uh, so we need to separate ourselves from these things by turning our attention back to ourselves.
3: For example, to use, a, a, for example, music or a, uh, as a tool, or example, to, to, to transcend this or to...
0: to, to go. Nothing, no phenomenon can enable us to transcend phenomena. We are aware of phenomena only when we're looking outwards, when our attention is going away from ourselves towards other things. So we can't transcend phenomena by attending to phenomena. We can transcend phenomena only by investigating to whom do all these phenomena appear. So if you've got nice music, who is aware of it? To whom does all this music appear? We need to turn our attention back to ourselves. So, there is so many different levels of spiritual teaching to suit people of different levels of, um, of spiritual maturity, but ultimately, the ultimate spiritual teaching is to turn within and see ourselves as we actually are. And for that we don't need any senses, we don't need any sense objects. We need only to hold on to ourself. We don't
1: need anything other than ourself.
0: How can anything other than ourself enable us to know ourselves? Okay, Bhagavan's teachings are useful, but why are Bhagavan's teachings useful? Because they turn our attention back towards ourselves. So Bhagavan's teachings are useful to the extent, I mean we can make use of Bhagavan's teachings. To the extent to which we turn our attention back within. If we don't turn our attention back within, Bhagavan's teachings can't do anything for us. Bhagavan's just asking us, if you want to be happy, investigate yourself. Know who you are. Turn within. He's given us good advice. It's up to us whether we follow that advice or not. If we really understand Bhagavan's teachings, we will understand all that is required is to turn within. That is what Bhagavan is dinning into us again and again and again. Whatever Bhagavan teaches, it's all the, the practical implication of whatever Bhagavan teaches us is that we should turn within to investigate who am I? That's all that is required. It's so, so simple. It seems complicated because our mind keeps on going outwards, asking questions about this and about that and about everything. But one question we, we, we fail to ask is, who am I? And it's, we cannot, merely asking the question, who am I, is not sufficient. We need to investigate. We need to find out what we are by looking deep within ourselves.
1: Thank you. Okay. Uh, Michael,
4: uh, there's a question uh, which somebody would like to ask anonymously. Anon?
0: Right.
2: Hello. Hi, Michael. Hi. Thank Hi. you for your time. Sorry, I just didn't want to uh, put my name because it's recorded. That's all. No, no um,
1: problem.
2: Yeah. And um, I've had your Reply by email. So thank you very much. Um, so um, mine is actually I don't know if it's a question or or comment or I just want to you to know uh, to say your thoughts about this. So basically, after all me listening to these talks and um, the teachings of Bh- Bhagavan, so I've come to a conclusion. So if you are um, my conclusion is, like whatever you do you think or say, then that is ego. So isn't that right? So everything that you do is all because of ego. so if you yeah. if your ego is kind of destroyed, then you'll be not doing anything. This is what I'm kind of concluding from these um, yeah. understanding. and um, but then at the same time, without ego, then we cannot function in this world. So what we have to do stuff, we have to think, stay. So we, we have to function. Um, so we can't do without the ego. So the only mm-hmm. thing we can do then is to surrender. Is that correct? And then when we are not doing anything, we are just contemplating or going, looking inside and seeing who we are. Is that Correct. Um, that's one thing. And then there's another one. Can I, can I one. just
0: ask a question? What yeah. is it that we have to surrender?
2: Ah. Uh, so, <laughs> what? Everything. Thoughts? I don't know. Whatever happens. You whatever don't,
0: we do. don't uh, You don't have to surrender thoughts or anything. There's one thing uh, you have to surrender. Is the ego. <laughs> if you surrender ego, you've surrendered everything. Yes, as part of the practice, we also try to give up our desires, our attachments, our likes, dislikes, and everything. But the surrender, ultimately, we cannot surrender completely without surrendering ourselves. Ourself means ego. So whether we call it self-investigation or self-surrender, the aim is to give up ego. Yeah,
2: but then how do you function so you still have to do things. So for example, somebody wins a competition. So this is how I see it. When somebody wins a competition and then they go, yeah, I won this. And that to me, it feels like, oh, too much ego. Like, you know, they, they do that. I don't know. I mean, what are you supposed to do in that? Um, that's like a simple example. But, okay. Can I ask yeah. another
0: question? Why, okay. do you, why do you want to function in this world?
2: Otherwise, you would be just... Okay, I can understand. If you are just just thinking and realizing who you are, this is what I'm saying, then you would have nothing to think, nothing to do. You yes. would just be. So, yes.
0: Yeah. Isn't, isn't that a very nice state? That is,
2: but how do you sit there
0: like that? <laughs> Sitting is a doing. Bhagwan yeah. didn't ask you to sit there. Okay. But what do you... You, what is it that that, I, yeah. that is. But doer, as you said at the beginning, the doer of all actions is ego. The thinker, yeah. the speaker, the doer is ego. Mm.
1: All, the, the entire world
0: appears in whose view? In the view the ego of, of ego. the ego, yeah. If you if you free yourself from if you if you uh, put an end to ego, what mm. remains? Oh, just me. Oh, yes, just the
1: self. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. Hmm. Then there's no world to function in. The oh. world seems to exist only when we rise as ego.
2: Uh, okay. You and when we that. rise as
0: ego, we yeah. seem to be a part of this world. We seem to be this little person in this big world. And this big world is giving
1: so many problems to us.
2: Okay. But that is only... So you will not see the world in that sense. Only if you are like blended with the...
0: We see the world only when we take ourselves to be a body. We can see this very clearly. In waking and dream, we experience ourselves as I am this body. Yeah, in sleep we don't experience ourselves as I am this body. There's no world. So yeah, but, whenever we like, experience ourselves as I am this body, there seems to be a world. When we don't experience ourselves as I am this body, there's no world. There's just ourselves.
2: But how, in your waking senses, would you be like in a sleep? Like this if is, that... is what
0: is called jagrat shashty, wake waking sleep. That is in the state waking sleep is a description of our real state, the state in which we are awake to what is real, namely ourself, and asleep to everything else.
2: Wow, when you say sleep, is what does that mean? Asleep to ev- as in
0: we, not- we are not aware of anything else because nothing else actually exists. Everything else is just a dream, but appears only in the view of ego. So when, as Bhagavan says in verse twenty-six of the Rudranabhadu, "Ahande mm. if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. Ahande indra anatum. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ahande Yabama, Ego itself is everything. Mm. Adalal That's... yadu edu indranadle overdal yabamena all. Therefore, know that investigating what this is, is giving up everything. So what does he mean by that? Why does he say if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence? For the simple reason that everything exists only in the view of ego. So so when ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. In sleep, there's no body, no world, nothing. There's just ourselves. And we're perfectly happy in that state. But in waking and dream, we, we rise as ego, take ourselves to be a body and experience a world. So everything comes into existence only when we rise as ego. When we don't rise as ego, nothing else exists. Therefore, what is it we are seeing as all this? That is ego, we as ego, see ourselves as all of this. So all, everything is, own, ego itself is everything, as Bhagavan says. But then the most important thing is the final sentence of that verse. Therefore, know that investigating what this is, is giving up everything. Investigating what this is means investigating what ego is. And the nature of ego is to rise, stand, and flourish by attending to other things. But if it attends to itself, as he said in the previous verse, If sought, it takes flight. So when we turn our attention away from the world, away from all appearances, all phenomena, back towards ourself, to whom do all these things appear? To me. We turn our attention back towards ourself. Ego thereby subsides, and dissolves back into its source. When ego dissolves into its source, everything else dissolves along with it. Therefore, investigating what this ego is, is giving up everything.
2: Oh, well, can I just, just ask? So um, when
0: when there's no ego, there's no mm -hmm. body, no world, nothing. And so there's no scope for any, I mean, no need for any functioning and no scope for any functioning. (laughs) There's just pure being.
1: Well, then, when
2: when you have a family and you have to advise, say, for example, your children, you have to advise them. And then when I'm saying something, I'm thinking, Am I supposed to say, so I'm doing something there, which I have to do, that is my duty? So this, I, ha- I can't just pretend not to. <laughs> I in, have to do it.
0: In a dream, yeah. how do uh, you behave? If you're hungry in a dream, what do you do? You eat. Yeah. If you see someone who is hurt in a dream, you try and mm. help them. If, mm. if someone comes to you, um, if someone is bereaved, for example, a bereaved person comes to you in a dream, you listen to them and you say, try to say some consoling words to them. It's mm-hmm. natural in a dream to behave appropriately in the dream. But the one who is behaving in the dream is, themselves is a part of that dream. That is, the, who is behaving in the dream, the person we take ourselves to be. Of course, when, you have, when you're a mother with children, you have to advise your children appropriately. This is all, that, that is, so long as we take ourselves to be a person, we have to behave in an appropriate manner in this world. But the aim of self-investigation or self-surrender is to separate ourselves from the person we seem to be. So but this person should continue behaving in an appropriate manner. As a mother, so, so long as you take yourself to be a person, you're a mother, you've got a daughter, you have to pro- advise your daughter appropriately. That's the, there's no wrong with that. The problem is, the problem is not you're giving advice to your daughter, the problem is you're taking yourself to be the mother who is giving advice to a daughter. The mother is a body. Why do you identify yourself with this body? Of course the the mother the, the the body that is a mother has to advise the daughter appropriately. But our aim in self in, this, this practice of self-investigation and self-surrender is to separate ourselves from the person we seem to be. So it's not to change our outward behavior. We should continue behaving in this world. As we, would, as we would anyway behave in this world. When we say we should continue, that means we as this person should continue. But our real task is not to identify ourselves with this person and thereby act appropriately in this world. Our aim is to separate ourselves from this person. So, what is to happen will happen according to Prarabdha. How we should behave in this world, this body and mind will be made to act appropriately. All Bhagavan asks us to do is to hold on to ourselves and thereby surrender this ego. Okay, so let let everything go on as it's meant to go on. We have to detach ourselves from this.
2: Okay, so what I have to do I just do and then not get attached to that.
0: What what Uh, the person you take yourself to be Uh has to Uh do, that person has to do what they have to do. Hmm. The problem is you take yourself to be that person. That is where we go wrong.
2: But that's in the thought, in the mind. So if I think "Oh, I'm not that person, it's it, you a... cannot
0: separate yourself from by thinking I'm not this person. Because who is thinking? It's the person is thinking. Oh, my God. Okay. I, Michael, think I am not Michael. That is missing the point. Mm. Who am I? We need to turn our attention back within. Let Michael do what Michael has to do. What I have to do is to hold on to I am. So we need to turn our attention back. We, that is the way to separate ourselves from the person we take ourselves to be. That is, what we actually are is only the fundamental awareness I am. But we've now attached ourselves to this person. And because we've attached ourselves to this person, we have so many problems. We, we, have, uh, we have parents, we have husband, wife, children, siblings, friends, um, all sorts of problems we have in the world. This is because we take ourselves to be this person. So all Bhagavan is asking us to do is to question who am I, to find out what we actually are. Question who am I means not just asking the question. Question who am I means investigating who am I. So we need to find out what we actually are. Only by finding out what we actually are can we separate ourselves from what we now seem to be. So outwardly the life will continue as it will continue anyway. It's all going on according to Prarabda. We need not be too concerned about it. Our only concern should be turning within and thereby surrendering ourselves to Bhagavan.
1: Okay, Okay. thank you, Michael. Can I just quickly, I mean, this could be a stupid question, but
2: this is just disturbing me. So, um, because I used to be a Christian and then I became an atheist and I used to listen to Richard Dawkins, a lot. Yes. And I, I was almost convinced that anybody who is religious is deluded. This was my thought. And now I am, I can't believe I am like now following Bhagavan and I'm, yes. I'm surprised. And I just sometimes. Bhagavan's
0: wonder, path is not a religion.
2: Yeah, but. Uh, this is
0: it, the ultimate science. Yeah. All so Richard Dawkins' science is a science of, of he's investigating the appearance. We are investigating the one to whom it all appears to find out the underlying reality of all this.
2: Yeah, but there is a a bit of God and you know that kind of thing which comes into this, where because you are still ego in that sense, you still yeah, have that. Yeah. So i am just sometimes thinking if if i am deluded <laughs> so i just i mean it just comes to my mind that question and um, i don't know if anybody had that ever when you started to come into this and, and anybody you know had that kind of a question at all or would it just go away um, do, i'm just do, yeah do you exist
0: i do yes <laughs> can our existence be a delusion no no, we, we, we must exist in order to be aware of anything. What, uh-huh. we, what we seem to be may be a delusion. It's a delusion to think I am such and such a person. I am this body. That is a delusion.
2: Ah, okay. The existence, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. And Richard Dawkins has written a book, The God Delusion. Yeah. But the God he's talking about is the God that people take to be something other than, than themselves. Hmm. How can God be something other than ourself? If God is something other than ourself, he becomes an object known by us. God cannot be an object. God is the reality of the subject. That is, all objects appear in the view of the subject. Only in the view of I, all other things exist. But, but, but what I actually is, that is what is called God or Brahman. So this is, so long as we take ourselves to be a body, there seems to be an external world and there seems to be a God. That's all a delusion. The the, taking ourselves to be a body is a delusion. Seeing a world is a delusion. Thinking there's a God out there is a delusion. But recognizing that the one thing that actually exists is I am, and God is nothing other. How can God be something other than I am?
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me
0: now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not uh, deluded. <laughs> yeah, that that is Richard Dawkins is attacking. He, he is um, he is attacking the the most superficial forms of religion, and mm. easily you can easily attack because religion is based on belief. Mm. But in Bhagavan's path, Bhagavan doesn't ask us to believe anything. But In fact, Bhagavan says, do not believe what you do not know. Do not believe that you're this body. Do not believe that this world exists. Because these are all just appearances. But one thing that cannot be reasonably doubted is our own existence. What we are is open to doubt. That we are is not open to doubt. So Bhagavan says, well, one thing you actually know for certain is I am. Investigate I am, that's all you have to do. How can this be a delusion? Mm. Investigating anything other than I am may be a delusion because it could all be a dream. Richard Dawkins was a um, uh, I think a, obviously an evolutionary biologist or something. I I can't remember exactly. Yeah. So something like that. He he's he's investigating the appearance. The appearance can may well be a delusion. Mm. Richard Dawkins may well be a delusion, but the I am, but in, in that. F- the one thing Richard Dawkins is aware of is I am Richard Dawkins. And everything else he's aware of only because he's aware of I am Richard Dawkins. Everything else may be a delusion. Richard Dawkins may be a delusion, but the one thing that cannot be a delusion is I am. So if he holds on to I am, he can leave all the rest, the, the rest of the delusion. But out of three things, the soul, world, and God, in that way, the soul means the knower, but the one who knows all this. He picks on poor God and says God is a delusion. If God is a delusion, then why not the world also be a delusion? Why not the knower of the world also be a delusion? The one yeah. thing that cannot be a delusion is I am. Our own exist, we must exist. Everything we know. Could be an illusion. But whether it's real or illusory, we must exist in order to be aware of it. We may not be what we take ourselves to be, but we certainly exist
1: So if we want to go beyond illusion,
0: we need to first investigate the one thing that is certainly real, namely our own existence, I am.
1: Okay, so when I'm in so
2: thinking who I am, and then I'm going to in my mind, it is just existence is what I am, and that's it. And then I know that much, and um, I know that much. But then, what you just sit with that is that what? How you investigate? I don't it, know.
0: It, it's not just a matter of thinking. Who it's a matter of attending to ourselves.
1: You're aware I am. Yeah. What is this I?
0: Just existence, isn't it? Yeah, but they, don't give an answer in words. The words are not what you are. You're not the word existence. Right. What does the, what do the, when you say I am, what does I am refer to? It refers to your own existence. So attend to your own existence. Investigate your own existence.
1: Okay. Even when we
0: talk of existence, we often think of the existence of other things. But the one thing, other things seem to exist. But the one thing that definitely exists is I am. So that is the, the, the one certain existence. So investigate that one certain existence. In other words, the existence of yourself. Your own being. And you can investigate it only by attending to it. So it's not a matter of thinking who am I? It's a matter of investigating who am I, looking at yourself to see who am I.
1: Words cannot adequately,
0: the words are all pointers. Whatever words we use, it very inadequate. But we need to understand what it is that Bhagavan is pointing at. He's pointing our attention back at ourselves. You yourself for that, know yourself.
1: Is that clear? Yes,
2: thank you very much. I'm on a journey, so we'll see. We're all
0: on a journey. We're all on a journey.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Michael.
0: Right.
4: Uh, Michael, there are about seven or eight questions. Um, The next one is... uh, does the regular practice of atma vichara, uh, sorry, does the regular practice of atma vichara also have an effect on the mind? Does it become more peaceful and quiet even in moments when we are not engaged in the practice of self
0: investigation? Um, generally speaking, that is to the extent to which we turn within, we are thereby detaching ourselves. From all that we take ourselves to be, so but when we are looking outwards, life goes on as usual all the all the same problems of life the ups and downs and everything all will go on. but if we are really following this path, we will be less and less affected by the ups and downs of life. so yes, in a sense our, our life is a lot more um by following this path, our life will be a lot more pleasant. That doesn't mean that we'll have all the the pleasures of life. That doesn't mean that the same problems we have to face, but we'll be less troubled by them. So we'll be more, more at peace, more in equanimity. This will naturally happen to the extent to which we turn within. The problem is the more we turn within, the more we resist turning within. So we keep on jumping outwards. So all the problems we exist, that we, we experience in life, they're all caused by our strong inclination to go outwards. In other words, our Vishaya Vasanas, our liking to attend to these Vishayas. All problems are Vishayas. Why should we attend to them? Why not attend just to ourselves? But being very foolish, we keep on attending to these problems. We keep on attending to this world, but it's a source of so many problems. So slowly, slowly, by patient and persistent practice, we need to cultivate more and more love to turn within. The more love we have to turn within, the less we'll be concerned about the outward life and all
1: its problems. I hope that adequately answers that question. Hi, Michael. I'll just get on to the next question. Yes. Yes. Do you know what you'd
4: like to drink? Oh, um, the next question is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There is no doubt that reality is an illusion. The question is how to manipulate the illusion to create a world that is more peaceful, loving and kind. Indeed, is it even worth it as it is an illusion?
0: (laughs) The very wording of the sentence um, indicates a confusion. If reality is an illusion, means what? How can reality be an illusion? if it's an illusion it's not reality. If it's reality it's not an illusion. The problem is this we have got into the habit of because this is how what everyone because people take the world to be real, they refer to the world as reality. The world is not reality. the world is a mere appearance. the world is an illusion so. What is reality means what is real. What is real is only I am. Everything else is a mere appearance because I am is the only thing that is constant. The one thing that exists and shines in waking, in dream, and in sleep is I am. Everything else appears and disappears only in waking and dream. In sleep, nothing above an I am exists or shines. So uh, we first need to understand when we say reality is an illusion, that means what we are taking to be reality is actually an illusion. We, however much we, we try and manipulate this appearance, we cannot change it. What is, that is, as Bhagavan said, what is destined to be experienced will be experienced. In the note he wrote for his mother, he put it very, very clearly, what is never to happen will not happen in spite of any amount of effort. What is to happen will not stop in spite of any amount of obstruction. This is certain. So let us not try and manipulate the appearance. The appearance is as it is. Let it be as it is. The problem doesn't lie in the appearance. The problem lies in that we've identified ourselves as a small part of this appearance. We take ourselves to be a body, which is a part of this appearance, part of this illusion. If we want to be free of the troubles of life, the only way is not to manipulate this life, but only to separate ourselves from the person we seem to be. See, there are people in this world now, people who have not just billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, so they can manipulate things in so many ways, because the money gives them power. But are they happy? No, they're not happy that money doesn't buy happiness. Having power, people who gain political power, they've got so much power over others, but are they happy? No. So trying to manipulate the appearance is Is foolishness. Let the appearance be as it is. We can't change it. The the, the world is full of. It's always been full of um, uh, birth, death, disease, old age, wars, famines, uh, pandemics, diseases, cancers, heart attacks. All these things. This is all. This is part of the nature of embodied existence. So let us not try and think that we can find happiness by changing these things. If we seek happiness by trying to change the outward appearance, we will be disappointed. If we want to find the real source of happiness, we can find it only in ourselves. So let us not try and change the appearance. Let us try and find out the reality of the one to whom it all appears.
1: That is Bhagavan's way.
0: Is that a clear answer? to whoever asked that question.
4: Um, The next question, Michael. Yes. Um, Next question is that when going inward, a place of silence is reached within the silence is the sound OM. Does the sound OM have a role in self-inquiry? It is now heard in all situations.
0: Om is not silence. What remains after Om is silence. That is, Om is said to ha- consist of of um, of three mantras, A, U, Im, and after that is the silence. The real silence is what remains after Om has ceased. Uh, in the Mandukya Upanishad, they just, it, it, it is it is each of these matras is described as a state. Ah is like waking, ooh uh is like dream, M mm is like sleep. Beyond these, the silence that remains after om, that is the eternal silence. That is, um, that is Turiya, what is called the fourth, but it's not actually a fourth. If Bhagavan said it's the only state that actually exists, so so long as we are aware of any any sound or any phenomenon of any kind whatsoever, we are not in silence. The silence Bhagavan talks about is not um, physical silence. It is not mental silence. It is the silence of pure being. That is, in the state of pure being, there is no rising. The state devoid of any rising is the true state of silence. The first rising is the rising of ourself as ego. From ego, everything else rises. So we can return to silence only by turning our attention back within and thereby subsiding back into the source from which we rose. The source from which we rose is silence. So only when we dissolve in our own reality, in the pure awareness I am, do we experience the true silence that we actually are, the eternal silence? All other forms of silence, they come and they go. Physical silence is disturbed by noise. Mental silence is disturbed by mental, agita- mental agitation, mental activity. But the silence of pure being is not disturbed by anything. So we need to, Om is a pointer towards that. But it is not, uh, what it points at is silence. But Om itself is not silence, it's
1: a sound. It's a
0: sound that leads us back to silence, We can say. But Bhagavan said of all the names of God, the first name of God is I am. Uh, he also said I am is the elder brother, Om is the younger brother. So "Om" is also pointing in the same direction, but less direct, but in a less direct manner. But one thing we always know, long before we know I am," no, but long before we know "Om," we know I am." We know our, not the words "I am," we know what the words "I am" refer to, namely our own existence. That is what we need to investigate.
1: That is the true import of the word "om. I hope that adequately answers that question. The next question
4: is, would you say that subtle or causal body evolution must reach a certain level of maturity prior to the pursuit of self-knowledge?
0: What is the subtle and the causal body? That in terms of the five shis, the, the, um, the anamaya kosha, the physical body, is called the stula sarira, the gross body. The pranamaya kosha, manamaya kosha, and the kosha are called the sukshma sarira, the subtle body. And the anandamaya kosha is called the karana sarira. The anandamaya kosha or karana sarira is what is otherwise called chittam, the will. It consists of vasanas. It is the that chittam that needs to be purified. That's why they t- we talk about chittasuddhi, purification of the chittam. The impurities in the chittam are the vishaya vasanas. We can, we can uh so both. To the extent that the vishaya vasanas are strong, the mind is impure, the chitta or the will is impure. So we need to weaken the visha vasanas. How can we weaken the visha vasanas? The most effective way to do so is by self-investigation, because vasanas are strong only to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by them. The more we allow ourselves to be swayed by any vasana, the stronger that vasana becomes. Vasana means the inclination, the volitional inclination. So, by clinging to self-attentiveness, we are not allowing ourselves to be swayed by any Vishaya Vasanas. So, to the extent to which we cling to self-attentiveness, we are thereby weakening the Vishaya Vasanas and strengthening the Satvasana. The sat vasana is the, is the is what will purify all the impure, that is, satvasana is pure, it's not an impurity, and it will cleanse the mind of all its impurities, all its vishaya So we need to persevere in this practice of self-investigation, to the extent to which the chittam, the anandamaya kosha, karana sarira is uh, purified, then, in a sense, we can say the whole mind, the, the manas and buddhi are also purified. But that's um, it, our aim. Is, that is what we need to, what needs to be purified is the chittam, But That's where the impurities lie. The reason it is called the karana sarira is the vasanas, the vishaya vasanas, are the cause. Karana sarira means causal body. They, they are the cause for the appearance of all phenomena. That is, Bhagavan said, uh, uh, all vishayas, all phenomena, the seeds that give rise to the appearance of all phenomena it, are the vasanas So the are the seeds that give rise to the appearance of everything. So the appearance of all the other um, four sheaths, they're all an expansion of the that reside in this um, in this subtlest of all the sheaths, the karanasarira, but even the Karana Sarira, it's a Sarira, it's a body, it's not what we actually are. So who is the I that identifies itself as I am this bundle of five sheaths? That is ego. So long as ego has strong vishaya, ego is not the Karana Sarira. Ego is that which takes the Karana Sarira and all the other sheaths to be I. So. But the Vasanas that reside in the, or, or the Vasanas that constitute the Karana Sarira are whose Vasanas? They're ego's Vasanas. So, so long as ego has strong Vasanas, it will be constantly going outwards. So, by the practice of self investigation and self surrender, we gradually weaken the Vishaya Vasanas. And only when the Vasanas are weakened to a sufficient extent, Will we be willing to turn within and thereby surrender ourselves completely? So, yes, the purification of the karana sarira, the, 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 the bundle of vasanas, that is necessary. That is, that's what the spiritual path is all about. It's all about purifying the karana sarira. Only when the karana sarira, the vasanas, are purified to a great extent, that is when the, the, the vishaya vasanas lose their strength, Will the ego gain the love to turn within, the willingness to turn within and surrender itself? And the ultimate aim is therefore the destruction of ego. And ego can be destroyed only by turning within. And ego can turn within only if it has great love to turn within. That's why Bhagavan often said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. Bhakti is nothing but that love to turn within and to be as we actually are. Because turning within and being as we actually are is giving ourselves wholly to God. That is surrender.
1: So that is the highest bhakti. And the next question. Yes.
4: Um so there are two questions together. The first one is, uh, is our verses eight and nine. Uh, I'm sorry. Are verses eight and nine of Upadesh Undiar the real teachings of Bhagwan, or are they referring to only Soham Bhavana and hence not the real teachings of Bhagwan? In the path of Sri Ramana, I felt as if it was interpreted as the latter. And secondly, how should we increase Arthitiksha by relying on the Upadesh and devotional works
0: of Bhagwan? Um, verse eight, superficially. Many people take it to be sohambhavana, but if we pay closer attention to what Bhagavan is actually saying there, it is not sohambhavana. Bhagavan talks about ananya bhava. Ananya means what is not other. So he says rather than anya bhava, rather than meditating on what is other, meditating on what is not other. Not other means not other than oneself. With the understanding that he is I. So if we if we understand that God is I and therefore meditate on nothing other than I, that is ananya bhava. But because people often take it to be soham bhavana, in one place in Parthistri Ramana, Sadhuam replies to that sort of attitude that people have, but this is Soham Bhavana. But he made it very clear elsewhere, but that, that is not the real, that's a that is a very superficial and ultimately incorrect. That is not the intention of Bhagavan in, um, in, in verse 8 of Rupadesha not Bhagavan does not intend to talk about soham bhavana. Because soham bhavana, soham, the idea, he is I, that's a thought. Thoughts are something anya. So, so long as we are meditating on a thought, he is I, we're meditating on something other than ourselves. So that is not what Bhagavan means there. And in the next verse, verse 9, he says, by the strength of Bhavana, sorry, by the strength of Baba, the Baba he's referring to there is the Ananya Baba. Ananya Bhava means meditating on what is not other. In other words, meditating on ourself alone. So ananya baba actually is self-investigation. That is the real meaning of that. And Sadhu made that clear in many places, but in that particular place, because Parthasri Ramana, he didn't sit down to write Parthasri Ramana as a book. People asked many questions and he answered the questions according to their, according to the questions that were asked. So there are things said in the Parthasri Ramana at different levels. So when he talks as if they, uh, that verse was talking about Sohambhavana, it is because the person who was asking him that question was going on that assumption. But as I say, in verse nine, he says, by the strength of Baba, in other words, by the strength of the Ananya Baba or self attentiveness, being in Sat being in the state of being, which is Bhavanatita, which, which transcends Bhavana, mental activity, that is Parabhakti Tattva. So that is the state of just being as we actually are. By thinking he is I, we cannot come to the state of satbaba, state of just being. It's only by turning our attention within and attending to nothing other than ourselves, But we thereby, by the strength of that self-attentiveness, we thereby remain in the state of just being. Thinking I am he is a mental activity. Attending to Ourself is not a mental activity, it's a cessation of mental activity.
1: I know that many people get confused about that
0: uh, that um that particular portion of Party Sri Ramana. I also remember questioning Sadhwam about that, and he said, No, that is not the correct meaning of a verse, but that's how most people take the verse. So he was in that in he, he was answering people who are uh, someone who was viewing it in that way but he 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 gave that explanation but trouble is the more people ask questions the more we the more explanations have to be given the more explanations are given the more room they give for more questions to arise so m- most questions are leading us away from ourselves so But many people who come to Bhagavan, they ask questions about so many things, everything except about who am I. Um, Or even if they talk about who am I, they're still talking about other things. Um, They're they're not coming to what is the real crux of the question, or crux of what, what who am I means. It means we need to turn within to see what we actually are. So, when we when we ask questions, we, we first we need to think very deeply about Bhagavan's teachings, try and understand for ourselves, and then the questions we ask will be useful questions. If we're still floating on the surface, the questions will be superficial questions, and then lots of explanations have to be given. This is why big, big books are written, because people ask so many questions. Ultimately, big books are not necessary. All that is necessary is a few small, useful works like Ulladu, Napadu, Nana, Arunacha, Akram, like such works deal with the very heart of the matter. So that is what we should focus on. But even such works, people will read their own meaning into it. Like people read, uh, take that verse 8 of, it's very clear actually, but what Bhagavan is talking about in verse 8 of Upadesha India is very clear But it is not Soham bhavana. But people still insist. No, no, in Sanskrit, Bhagavan said Soham Ichyoso. So it must be Soham. Just because the word Soham is there, they missing the, why Bhagavan says Soham? It, it means, he's talking about the, why are we meditating on ourselves alone? Because up to the previous verse he was talking about meditation on God. So, But in this verse he's saying, rather meditating on God as something other than ourselves, meditating on God as not other than ourselves, with the understanding that he is I, is best among all. So it's, it's a wrong interpretation to take it as uh, Soham Bhavana, but many people insist on taking it like that. So answers have to be given accordingly. I hope that adequately answered that question.
1: The next question. Yeah, the next
4: question is that in many scriptures like the Ashtavakra Gita, there are descriptions of virtues that are present in a realized sage, like indifference to pleasure and pain, desirelessness, contentment, which is untouched by pleasant or unpleasant, undisturbed peace and happiness, courage, confidence, etc. Are such divine virtues the result of self-effort, or are they a gift from God? Because such virtues seem to be out of human reach. It is not so easy to be detached from pleasure, and especially pain, when this is intense. Does self-inquiry awaken these virtues?
0: Um firstly, um, when if Ashtavakra Gita describes the virtues of the jnani, that is an explanation given, from the, given for those who take the jnani to be a person. But Bhagavan has made it clear the jnani is not a person, though the jnani appears in human form, for example, Bhagavan, he appears in human form. In our view, he seems to be a person like us. But Bhagavan said, jnana may jnani. Jnana uh, alone is the jnani. So Bhagavan is not the person that he seems to us to be. When ego is annihilated, all virtues, uh, that is, from the perspective of uh, of others who see the jnani as a person, because the, there's no ego in the jnani, all virtues are shining there. But that's only in the view of the ajnani. In the view of the jnani, he's gunatita, he's beyond all the qualities, beyond all good qualities and bad qualities. So, this is where different levels of teachings are given to people at different levels of understanding. So long as people take the to be a person, yes, it's true, the, the, the person that the seems to be is the abode of all virtues, because there's no ego there. The, the root of all uh, vices is ego. When ego is gone, only virtues can shine there. So, um, yes, all virtues naturally will be there. In the person whom the nyanyi seems to be, in our view, regarding self-investigation,
1: whether that will lead to virtues,
0: the root of all uh, uh, vices, as I say, is ego. To the extent to which we Practice self-investigation; ego is thereby subsiding. To the extent that ego subsides, its vices will also subside along with it, and so virtue will naturally come to us. To the extent to which we go deep in this practice of self-investigation, but we are not doing this to become virtuous people. That's not our aim. Our aim is to know what we actually are. What we actually are is is neither. Uh, We are neither sinner nor saint. We are are just pure being. That is what we are investigating. We're investigating what we actually... That is why in Na Na, Bhagavan says, however great a sinner one may be, if instead of lamenting, oh, I'm a sinner, how can I be saved? If one is uh, steadfast in self-attentiveness, one will certainly be saved. So it doesn't matter whether we are sinner or saint. Whether we are sinner or saint, we need to investigate what we actually are, and then we will find that we are neither sinner nor saint.
1: I hope that adequately answers that question. Next question. Yeah.
4: The next question is what is maya's role in self inquiry is it maya that gives rise to ego or is it just a cloud over the real awareness when ego is destroyed is maya destroyed too or are they one and the same
0: they are one and the same simple answer ego itself is maya so long as we are, our attention is turned outwards we are caught up in maya by turning our attention back within Maya, also known as ego, subsides and merges back into its source. There, there's no Maya above an ego.
1: Bhagavan says that very clearly in um,
0: in Vichara Sangraham in the um, in, in the first um, subsection of the first section of Vichara Sangraham. Bhagavan
1: says uh wait a second, I'll just get it. Um Dehate
0: Kuritu uh Avar Avar Avantaramai uh non endru erum bodome. Uh that is the, the awareness that rises as I. Being intermediate and uh, pointing towards the body, that means taking the body to be itself, is called, uh, is what is called tat bodham. Tat bodham means uh, e- eagerness, ahankaram, ego, avidya, um, that is ignorance, maya, um, uh, malam, impurity, um, jiva. It's described in so many ways. So what he's saying here is that ego itself is Maya. Maya, avidya, whatever you want to call it, it's all nothing but ego. Get rid of ego and you get rid of everything. So what is the role of Maya in self-investigation? Maya is nothing but ego. So Ego is the problem, but the way to... Ego can surrender itself only by turning its attention back within. So the Maya needs to be turned back. Maya in the form of ego needs to turn back on itself to see who am I. So you know we can say Maya is the problem being dealt with in by self investigation. Maya is what is investigating, and. Maya is what is is destroyed by self-investigation, because Maya is nothing but ego, which is the root of all problems. And the only solution to ego is for ego to turn within to see what it actually is, because what it actually is is just such it. When ego sees itself as such it, it ceases to be ego and remains as such which is what we always actually are.
1: I hope that answered that question adequately. Next question.
4: Yeah. The next question is Does constant self attention lead to physiological changes? If attention has always attended to Vishaya Vasanas but is now strengthening the sattvasana, Will this naturally result in physiological changes, particularly within the body?
0: Um, we don't actually attend to vishaya vasanas We attend to vishayas under the sway of the vishaya vasanas Vasanas are the inclinations. Um, the the body is as it is. It, how the, the condition of the body is according to prarabdha. There's nothing that we can do to change the the prarabdha. So whatever the condition of the body may be, that is determined by prarabdha. Self-investigation, in self-investigation, we are separating ourselves from this body. So whether the body is, whatever the physiological condition of the body doesn't matter. Who am I? Who... That is, what is my own reality? Now we identify ourselves with this body, but what is the reality of ourself? The reality of ourselves is just I am. So we hold on to I am and thereby let go of this body. So um, if any physiological changes come about, that is according to Prarabdha may seem to be caused by self-investigation, I suppose it's possible it could seem so, but it's actually determined by Prarabdha.
1: Whatever is experienced by the outward-term mind is according to Prarabdha.
0: But Bhagavan said, Prarabdha affects only the outward-term mind, so it can never stop us from turning within. So our aim should be just to turn within. Let's not worry about the body or the world or physiological changes or whatever. Our only concern should be to know who am I and to be what we are, thereby to be what we actually
1: are. So the next question is... um... You're
4: saying that there's a question about the diksha, but I thought you had answered that. We can ask again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the question is, how can we increase our titiksha by relying on the upadesh and
0: devotional works of Bhagwan? By putting his devotional works and Upadesha works into practice. Merely, we... That is, titiksha we will maybe gain to a little extent by understanding Bhagavan's teaching, but the real benefit we can get from Bhagavan's teachings comes only from putting it into practice. If we don't put it into practice, titiksha will always elude us. All, everything will elude us if we don't put it into practice. Practice is what is Bhagavan's teachings
1: are all about.
0: Ditiksha means forbearance. We will forbear everything to the extent to which we detach ourselves from everything. And we can detach ourselves from all other things only by attaching ourselves to our own being, holding on to our own being, being self attentive.
1: Michael, um, we don't have any more questions today. Be very unusual. Okay. Uh, would you like
4: to conclude, Ali?
0: Yes. yes. Om namo bhagavate Sri Aurobindo Chala Ramanaaya. Om namo bhagavate Sri Aurobindo Chala Ramanaaya. Om namo bhagavate Sri Aurobindo Chala Ramanaaya.